as we continue our journey through the Bible, uh, Lord willing, uh, man, we'll be done with the Pentateuch pretty soon, maybe in a couple of months, right? No, I'm just joking. It'll probably take a little longer than that. But tonight we have a really neat study, believe it or not. In the book of Numbers, chapter 27, as we study the Bible together, we're going to see, first of all, the cause, and then secondly, the call. Now, the cause is when you have something in your life and you're like, man, I don't know if this is right or not. I need to kind of investigate, you know, some matters. I need to talk to somebody about this. I think I have the right to to do this. And what happens in that case? And what happens when you have a question or you have a cause or even you have a care? Where do you go? We're going to learn that tonight through the daughters of Zelophehad, the five daughters. And the whole story is just a really, really incredible story regarding the cause and then regarding the call. And, you know, as a leader, uh, as a servant in the ministry, uh, you, you learn so much by studying the life of Moses. He was a great man, not a perfect man, but he was a strong leader And you learn a lot of lessons in studying the life of Moses. And tonight we're going to learn some important lessons regarding the call as we look at he, uh, you know, and what God does through his life and ministering to him as he's facing really the last days of his life. We're going to see some very important lessons tonight in Numbers chapter 27. Because look what we read, first of all, in verse 1. It says, And then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these were the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, that's interesting, huh? Hogla, Milka, and Terza. And they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in company with Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family? Because he had no son. Give us a possession among our father's brothers. And so Moses brought their case before the Lord. Here we see the daughters of Zelophehad bring their question. They bring their cause. They bring their request before Moses, before Eliezer, before the leaders, literally before the entire congregation of the Lord. It says right there at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And so what they're saying here is this is not casual. This is official stuff. They had a question. They had a cause. Maybe something was taking place that they just felt wasn't right. I mean, here we're about to, you know, share the inheritance and divide the inheritance. And our father, Zelophehad, he doesn't have any sons. And from what I'm understanding, we're not going to get an inheritance. And it kind of doesn't seem right. And so where do they go? Well, they went to the appropriate people. huh? They didn't go to the side. They didn't go to the right. They didn't go to the left. They went to the appropriate people. And when you feel like you're being wronged, make sure you don't go and gossip. Make sure you don't go to the right or to the left. Take it to the appropriate people. And then the Lord can begin to deal with it in a way that will be 
right. And here we see this is what the daughters of Zelophehad did. Now what had happened was their father died in the wilderness, not having a son to claim an inheritance. And it's interesting in reading this right here, they bring up the fact that Zelophehad, their father, wasn't part of any rebellion against the Lord or against Moses or Aaron. I mean, you know, perhaps some people had suspected him of being part of that rebellion and that's why he had no sons and that's why they weren't worthy of the land. You know, we're not really sure why they bring it up, but these five daughters, they state their case and they refer to the fact that their father, it says right there, he died in his own sin. Notice it says in verse 3. And that just means that he died a common death. He died like everyone else. You know, one day we will all die. Death is common for everyone, as far as I know, other than Jesus and maybe a couple of exceptions here. Maybe, you know, Enoch and uh, Elijah. Everybody dies. And that's why it's very important that you settle your accounts now. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? If you don't know the answer to that, then God has brought you here today to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, as a result of sin, there it is in the Garden of Eden, chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. Because of sin, the Bible says that death entered the world. We all die. And the daughters of Zelophehad, they just kind of bring up that point. Our our dad didn't die because he was a rebel. Our, Our dad died like everyone else. He didn't do anything wrong. And so they say, why should the name of our father be removed? That didn't seem right to them. And so what do they do? Well, they just ask for land. They say, hey, my uncle Ernie gets some land. I don't understand. Man, my, you know, Theo Bethel gets land. Even my Theo Leo gets land. I don't understand what's going on here. Why don't we get land? And I just love what we read right here in verse 5. And I want to spend some time on this. It says in verse 5, So Moses brought their case before the Lord. Very important. You know, he didn't pretend to know it all. Like sometimes I think we do. We answer real quick. He didn't respond right there and then. You know, another leader probably would have given the typical response of the day. Come on, you're just a girl. You guys don't get land, you know. That's the typical response, right? And he didn't jump to any conclusions. He didn't offer his own opinion. We see that he didn't run to some book written by a man or look up to his big brother Aaron. I just love the fact that the first thing he did was that he brought their case before the Lord. And that's very important for all of us here, but especially leaders. I mean, he really brought it to the Lord. He prayed about it. He talked to God about it. And I'm not sure how long he prayed, but I do know this, that he prayed long enough to hear God's voice. And if it takes a day, cool. If it takes a week, cool. If it takes a month, cool. If it takes a year, cool. But you got to wait. Until you can honestly say, the Lord has spoken to me. You know, this seemed to be the heart of Moses. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was such a strong leader. Why he was such an effective leader is that he took the cases, really brought the cases before the Lord. 
We see the same thing in Numbers 15, verse 32. He did the same thing when a man among them had presumptuously violated the law of the Sabbath. The Bible says that they put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. And then the Lord said to Moses, this is what I want you to do. And isn't it cool, you guys? I mean, how many of you here are Christians? Okay, a lot of you here are, right? And we know the fact that being a Christian means that you have a personal relationship with God. And having a personal relationship with God, that means that you can hear God's voice, that God can hear your voice, that you can bring your questions, your cases, your cares to the Lord. And it's such a beautiful thing. And I want to encourage you in this. Before you go to the phone, you go to the throne, right? Before you go to your friends, you go to your father. I mean, there's a case for, you know, there's a place for counselors and friends and, you know, all that type of stuff. But man, make sure that you take your case before the Lord. You know, we know back in Exodus chapter 18, verse 19, Moses' father-in-law Jethro gave him some words of advice that I think that stuck to his heart. He said, bring the difficulties to God. And in our life, man, there are some things that are more difficult than others. There's this mountain, Lord, that needs to be moved. Or there's this situation, Lord, that, to be honest with you, we need your wisdom. And I'm not going to make any decisions. I'm not going to make any moves. And I'm not going to make any judgments. And I'm not a, a, afraid or ashamed to tell people I don't know yet. I'm going to ask the Lord. And He will speak to us. You see, Zelophehad had five girls. And these five girls were God's daughters. Now, I have a daughter. I love my daughter so much. These are God's daughters. This is God's daughter that you're making decision about. This is God's son. And we don't take it lightly. As a leader, given the responsibility with great accountability, Lord, what do you want us to do? And we've got to run to God, you guys, especially as leaders, especially as parents. You know, when you're making those decisions that will affect your children for the rest of their life. You can't make it a casual thing. It has to be an official thing. It has to be where you can honestly say, God said to me as a dad, boom. And you heard his voice. And if you're here today and if you've never heard his voice, then something's wrong. God speaks to your heart. God speaks to you through his word. God gives you a still, small voice. He does. You just have to listen. You know, for us today, you know, it's a little different than them back then. You know, we have the entire Bible. And so what we do is we search the scriptures, but we do so prayerfully, seriously, wholeheartedly, really wanting to discover his will. Not just our personal favorite scriptures. Well, I like this one and I always run to this one. No, but the full counsel of God. And with wet eyes and bent knees and a broken heart, you talk to God. God will show you, hey, son, this applies and this is how I want you to apply it. It's very important, man. And like Joy was sharing earlier, something very important. I cannot overemphasize this. The word of God and prayer. 
the word of God and prayer. That's why the the pastors over in the book of Acts chapter 6, the leaders, it says, we will devote ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But that's not just for leaders. It's for all of us. They have more. Yes, man, they better soak themselves in those two things. But for all of us, it's the word of God and prayer. And he opens up the scriptures and he leads your life. We learn from the man Moses, a lot of things, man. We learn from the message of James. If you guys remember, watch, turn over there real quick to James chapter 1. Something similar, you know, because we see in James chapter 1, the book of wisdom in the New Testament, some great counsel. In verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom... And that would be me, just to let you know. I was telling the the congregation on a Sunday night, bottom line is, I'm dumb. (laughs) I am so dumb. I'm serious. Some people have common sense. I don't have any of that, man. I just lack so many things. And, you know, I, I see some people and they're so quick to make decisions and they're so, you know, quick on their feet. I'm like, man, Lord, I wish I could be like that, but I'm not. I'm, I'm very slow, Lord. And, I just lack wisdom. And so he says, Manny, okay, I'm talking to you real quick. If any of you lacks wisdom, there's still hope. Here's what you do. Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I mean, here you are in the situation. You don't know what to do. God says, listen, just pray. Just pray for that wisdom, the divine details, man. What are you supposed to do? How can you reach this daughter, this son? How can you make a a dent in whatever it is that you're trying to do and build? And and you name it, man. And God says, listen, all you got to do is pray. You pray to me. And if you lack wisdom, I'll give it to you. I'll flood you with wisdom. But here's the thing, man. You got to believe me. He says, but when you pray, you got to make sure you ask in faith, in verse 6, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I'm here to tell you tonight, man, that being a Christian is probably a lot more than you thought. Being a Christian means that you have God's power in your life. And being a Christian means that you've got God's compass in your heart. And all you have to do is tap into the resources that are already there. Stop doubting. Stop thinking that you can't live the life. And stop thinking that God won't guide you. You see, we learn this from the man Moses. We learn this from the message of James We even learn from the mistake of Joshua, this same principle, everything we're talking about right here. Because if you remember, in Joshua chapter 9, what had happened was the Gibeonites came to Joshua and they pretended that they came from far, far away. They were very crafty, the Bible says. They were cunning and they, you know, got moldy bread and they tore up their clothes and they made it seem like they're really far away. And they came to Joshua and they said, hey, can we make a covenant with you? And, you know, the Bible says explicitly in Joshua chapter 9, verse 14, that they didn't seek the Lord. 
that they didn't pray about it. They didn't ask the Lord about it. And so what ended up happening was they ended up getting deceived and they entered into an ungodly covenant with the Gibeonites. You see, when you have the question, when you have the case, when you have that care, the daughters of Zelophehad, they brought it to the Lord. Moses then brought it to the Lord. And we need to make sure that we bring it to the Lord. Back in Numbers, it says in verse 6, And the Lord spoke to Moses, the daughters of Zelophehad, speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their fathers to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family. And he shall possess it, and it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said, women have rights too. That's what he said. And you know, you guys, when you read the New Testament, you know that Christianity totally elevated the status of woman unlike any other culture or religion ever has. There's no doubt about it. Even though there's not an equality in office between a husband and a wife, there's an equality in essence and nature. And God definitely has the woman's rights in mind. And here we see the Lord says, listen, if a, if a dad dies, he has no sons and it goes to his daughters and you know, if there are no daughters, it goes to their uncle. And if it has a, no, no brother, and, and then it's his uncle, and then it's his closest relative. And, and, and this became a law in the land for the people of the Lord. You know, and in looking at this, I think it's kind of cool. Not only did the daughters get blessed with land, but they were used by God to establish a law. A law that would benefit similar ladies for future generations. Warren Risby said this, the five daughters had the courage and faith to ask for their inheritance, and they got it. They also had a part in establishing a law that helped other families in Israel get their inheritance. And so it's kind of cool, like James 4, 2 says, sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. You ask the Lord, and it's an amazing thing how He will give you the desires of your heart. You know, I want to encourage you guys in looking at this section tonight to not only bring your questions to the Lord, uh, to not only bring your case to the Lord, but I really want to encourage you tonight to bring your cares to the Lord. To bring all those cares, all those burdens, all those things that you have on your heart and the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Really go to Him. You know, I can't tell you how much God has been emphasizing to me lately the importance of Him being my everything and not anyone else. And that's okay. You know, if the whole world leaves me, I still have God. And you want to know something? That's enough. He wants to be our God. He really wants no rival thrones. Take it to Him. 
Take it to Him. Please, take it to Him. Yeah, but this friend over here, I, I can take it to them. And, and that fellow over there, you know, he's really cool. And they're very godly. Well, are they as godly as God? <laughs> no. Take it to the Lord. Establish your personal relationship with Him. Watch what happens when God begins to speak to your heart. And there's no mediators anymore. It's a relationship between you and God. It's an awesome thing. One thing I've learned in life, I I don't want to point anybody to me. Let me tell you something. You'll be in big trouble, man. I want to point you to the Lord. That's what I want to do. I really do. You know, the song, Joseph Scriven, he wrote the words, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, God is doing a new work. I know it. I see it. I sense it. He wants to do a new work in every single life. But we have to reestablish that personal relationship to him, with him, and bring everything like Moses did, like the daughters of Zelophehad did. And they knew where to go, that tabernacle there. That's where God is. Moses took it to God. And I want to encourage you to do the same. You see, we see, first of all, today about the case of Zelophehad's daughters. And secondly, we see the call of God's sons. And we see that here next. Notice what it says here in verse 12. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this Mount Abarim and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered for in the wilderness of Zin during the strife of the congregation. You rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. We learn about the, the case there and we learn now about the call here. And it's a real interesting thing. Uh, I believe that they're lessons, they're deep lessons for us to learn. You know, if you remember what had happened, Moses had um, disobeyed God back in the book of Exodus chapter 17. The first time is when he brought water out. God said, strike the rock. He did that right. But then the second time in Numbers chapter 20, God said, I just want you to speak to the rock. And Moses didn't just speak to the rock. He was kind of a little ticked off and and he struck the rock. And God says, because you did that, you cannot go into the promised land. And we learn about consequences, even within the call. I believe Moses was called to the promised land. There's no doubt about it, man. God wanted to take him there. But because of his sin, there were consequences. 
and it's an important lesson for us to learn, you know. I mean, think about the calling. Think about the calling of Moses, the man of God. Think about the type of man that he was. He was a man of integrity. Talk about a strong leader. I mean, he was just uh, a meek. He was beautiful. I mean, two times, you know, the Lord says, I'm going to wipe these people out. I'll make a nation of you, Moses. And Moses stood in the gap and he said, no, Lord, no. Spare your people. Have mercy on them. Moses was really cool when they complained against him, when they accused him, when they opposed him, when they resisted him, when they rebelled against him. It didn't matter. He just kept loving the people. But this sin kept him out of the promised land. You know, and now there's typologies in that. We know the law doesn't go into victorious Christian living. We know about the typology there with the rock that Jesus is not struck twice in order to get the Holy Spirit. You only speak, you pray, and God will give you the Holy Spirit. But the big, the big lesson is that sin, although it can be forgiven, any sin can be forgiven, it always has its consequences. And I think we forget that. And the Bible says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. There's consequences of forgiven sin. And that's why when I look at this, even as a leader, it strikes fear into my heart, you know? You know, God wants to purify us. God wants to make us holy. He really does. We're not just playing church. It means that you come, you listen, you learn, and you live God's Word. Oh, but Manny, you're expecting so much from me. No, it's not that we expect so much from you. It's that we want so much for you. And as you live the life, you really live the life, God will bless you. But if we don't fear God, if we think, you know what, I'm going to let my guard down today. It's just one day. I'll just kind of do whatever I want to do. Let the flesh just hang out. God will forgive me. Yeah, he'll forgive you. But, but you don't get away with it. Because you went in with eyes wide open. Thank God for his mercy, man. I thank God he doesn't give us what he deserved. Because in all reality, Moses deserved Pac-Man too. He deserved the earth to be opened up and to go straight to hell. That's what sin is for all of us. You know, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Thank God for that. But there's, there's always consequences. And that's what happened in the life of Moses. Here we see that Moses uh, was able to go up, it says in verse 12, and and to see the land from a distance. And that was really cool. But God said, but you're, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die before you can go in. And the reason being, you failed to demonstrate my holiness to the people at the waters of Meribah. Remember, Moses was upset and therefore he misrepresented God. Now, real quick in looking at that, some might then read that whole story when Moses was angry and they might mistakenly conclude that leaders therefore should never be angry at sin or zealous for righteousness sake. That leaders should not be demanding nor should they be commanding that our only place is grace. But here's the thing, that's not the full 
counsel of God. Yes, we as leaders, you as parents, we need to make sure that we don't misrepresent God by disobeying him. But man, there's a place to be angry at sin. There's a place to show righteous indignation. There's a place to be zealous for God's holiness. I remember in the book of Exodus chapter 32, after Moses had spent 40 years on the mountain, he came down from the mountain. And do you guys remember what happened? The children of Israel had not been restrained by Aaron. And they were in their sexual sin and they were in their idolatry and they were worshiping the golden calf. Moses was pretty upset. He threw the tablets down. Boom, they broke. He took the gold and calf and he ground it up. And you know what he did? He put it into their lemonade and he made them drink it, man. Drink this. There's a place for righteous indignation. There's a place to be angry at sin and zealous for holiness. Don't misunderstand that. But the bottom line is this. God had explicitly told Moses, speak to the rock. And rather than just doing that simple command, he struck the rock. And he struck it. You rebels. And as a result of disobeying the explicit commands, he was then forbidden to enter into the promised land. And in looking at this, it's very important for us to understand that misrepresenting God, the true God, and the truth of God kept him out of the promised land. You know, I would venture to say that God wants us all to enter in. And so we need to be very careful. You know, the cool thing in looking at this right here is that although Moses kept asking God, Lord, but please let me go in. Lord, please let me go in. Lord, please let me go in. God said, no, no, no. Stop asking. Moses didn't get bitter about it. He didn't. Look what we read next. It says in verse 15, Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Tonight we learn about the cause. Bring your cause to God, man. Please bring it to God. Secondly, we learn about the call. Part of that call is just to really know in our heart that there's consequences to sin, especially when you know you're entering into sin and you just do it anyways. Another part of that calling to to know is how important the people are. How important the congregation is. Moses caught that vision. You know, it never became about him. It always was about the people. And even though God said, you can't enter into the land, Moses, because of your sin, it was so cool. Moses, man, he just said, okay, that's all right, Lord. But Lord, you, the God of all flesh, Lord, you, please, God, raise up a man who could shepherd this congregation because, Lord, I can't even bear the thought of them being as sheep without a shepherd. And what it means is that Moses' heart really was a heart for the people and not for himself. You see, Moses really cared for the congregation and he knew the vital importance of strong leadership. 
leaders appointed by God. Lord, you appoint a leader for these people, leaders anointed by God. And Moses is a great example for us in this. You know, sometimes we see it's so sad to see shepherds who don't really love the sheep. You know, I remember these were sheep that complained against him. These are sheep that came against him. These are sheep that wanted to stone him. They said, kill him. We'll go back to Egypt. These are sheep that bit. <laughs> he loved them. And even when he couldn't go in, he wouldn't. most of us would probably say, you know what, Lord, wipe them all out. If I can't go in, none of them are going to go in. And Moses just said, Lord, Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, raise up a strong leader for them. Let them not be sheep without a shepherd. And you know how sheep are without shepherds, right? There's no hope. <laughs> Who's going to protect them from the wolf? Who's going to lead them? Who's going to guide? They will die, Lord. Moses had that heart. You know, sometimes we see guys today and they love their position, but not the people. Or they might love some of the sheep, but not all of the sheep. They just love the sheep who like them or the sheep who are like them. That's not what God wants from leaders. Let me tell you something. Not everyone's going to be like you. At least I hope not. Not everyone's going to be like you. Not everyone's going to like you. Is that okay? You still going to love them? Key core question. Will you still love them? When they're not like you, when they don't like you. But Lord, I want everybody to like you. You know what? They're not, Manny. They're not. You can't please everybody, huh? If you can, you'll go crazy. I guarantee you, man, you can't. People are not going to like you. They might not like the things that you do. That's okay. If you're a leader, you better love them anyways. See? And that's who Moses was. This congregation, they complained a lot against Moses. They conspired. They resisted. They rebelled. They accused. They attacked. But here we see his request on behalf of the sheep. And that proved that Moses still loved them. You know, it's been said, a shepherd's work can never be done without a shepherd's heart. And if you're here tonight and if you don't have that type of love, which, you know, I would venture to say is very rare, you know what? God will give it to you because God lives in you. And God really does love everybody. You know, we know that that was the good and great shepherd's heart. Remember, what he said in Matthew nine thirty six through 38, I see these people, they're weary, they're scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Remember Jesus said that when he saw the people and he said, just pray, man, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. You see, in looking at the call, we see, number one, consequences of sin. Number two, the importance of the congregation and then number three, the Great Commission. The Commission. Because look what we read next. It says in verse 18, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun. He was the only guy in the Bible who didn't have parents. I'm just joking. Anyways, and take him with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eliezer, the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be, notice, obedient. I love that. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim 
At his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. And so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him or commissioned him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. A few very important things for us who are called, us who are pastors, us who are leaders to really know the consequences of sin, the importance of the congregation and the great commission. Where are the Joshua's today? Where are the next generation in the church? Where's the Timothy's of today? The next generation, that young guy that you want to pour into or that young girl who will carry the baton on into the future. You know, one of the responsibilities of Christian leaders today is to see to it that the next generation is equipped to carry on the work. Second Timothy 2, verse 2, it says, Hey, teach these things to others, to faithful men. The things you've heard from me, teach these to faithful men that they will be able to teach others also. There's four generations there. And we need to have this in our heart. Warren Worsby said, each local church is just one generation short of extinction. And unless we teach and train new leaders, we jeopardize the future of our homes, churches, and even nation. You know, if you think about the relationship that Moses and Joshua had, it was a beautiful relationship. I wish we could go back and and you uh, we can look at this more in depth. But Joshua was a model Timothy. He really was, man. Moses had been a good example to him for the last 40 years. And Joshua had been very faithful, humble, and teachable for the last 40 years. But when the time came, and this is kind of an interesting thing, when push came to shove, Moses didn't choose Joshua. God did. God said, Lord, even though Joshua had been hanging out with him all this time and he'd been pouring into him and he'd just probably been a good example to many people, you know, Moses didn't say, okay, Lord, you know, get Joshua and zap him. Moses asked the Lord, Lord, you set a man. And that's what God did. God set the man. God set this individual named Joshua. And in looking at him, there's a few things I think are interesting. Number one, the spirit in him. The spirit in him. It says that in verse 18, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Now, if you studied the Bible, you know that in the Old Testament, Spirit didn't live in people usually. That didn't happen until the New Testament. Joshua, though, had the Spirit in him. And that's an important thing, you know, for us today to find those individuals, those rare individuals that, you know, they're unique, they're different. They've just got God all over them, God in them, God on them. That's who Joshua was. The Spirit of God was in him. Secondly, he said to lay hands on him. And that would be acknowledging the fact that he was chosen by God. Not chosen by man. I want you to lay hands on him. So number one, the spirit of God in him. Number two, your hands on him. Number three, the priest with him. And what that represents is led by the word of God. 
Here's a man in whom is the Spirit of God. Here's a man who's chosen by God. Here's a man who's led by the Word of God. And then the last thing was the congregation under him. And for that I mean that by that I mean that as they saw that it was God's man with the Spirit of God, the anointing of God, chosen by God, led by the Word of God, that the congregation, the people of God, would follow his leadership. You see? And that's what we pray for today. That's what we desire today. That God would raise up Joshua's. And you know, a lot of you here today, man, you may think, well, I'm not young enough. Well, it's not just a matter of being young, although we do need to pray for young people, man. Pray for our youth ministry. Pray for our face down ministry. Pray for the next generation. You know, maybe you're here today, and you know, I always have to, you know, just throw this out there. And God has a calling on your life to get, to come into the ministry, to be a pastor, to be a teacher. Maybe you. I would love to see God raise up men like that, women as missionaries to fully give their life if that's the calling on their life. But we pass the baton on. We pray for people like Joshua. Real quick, you guys, let me close with a just a, a few things of personal application. I mean, looking at this right here, the context is we see that the people of God are on the brink of the promised land. And you know what? I believe in one sense, so are we. I really believe that. I believe God is doing a new work. God wants to move us forward. God wants to move us forward personally. God wants to move us forward congregationally. He's giving us a lot of grace. But understand, this is a grace not just to get by, but it's a grace to fly. It's a grace not to get away with sin, but it's a grace to get away from sin. I believe God is stirring us up and he's just really, I think, wanting to speak to us and communicating the message that you can live fully and completely for me. You really can. It's a new work that God is doing. Not just in you, but in me. Not just a concrete building someday, but a character building. I believe that God is really speaking to us and saying, listen, that's enough. That's enough of you going to church and then going home and being the same person. I've had it. That's enough. I want more from you. I really want you to live a different life. And we take our desires and we take our dreams and we case our, our cases and our cares and we bring them to Him. We take sin seriously, seeing it for what it is, deadly and potentially keeping us from the promised land. And we take all these things to heart and we say, okay, Lord, here I am. Do work in me. I pray, Lord, that you would that we would care enough for the congregation of God that it doesn't even matter what happens to us, but that we would pour in, that we would lay hands on the next generation, and that it would be a generation filled with the Spirit of God. You know, real quick, I, I was just so blessed and just really reviewing some of the pictures of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, you know, and you know, because that's what we need. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, bottom line. We need Him to take over. Because you know what? There is a lion inside you. Nobody can tame, man. 
And you're trying to tame it yourself, and you can't. God's got to tame it. God's got to take over. Remember in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, the different pictures of the Spirit of God, the different pictures of the Spirit of God. <laughs> Remember, we see Him back there and the, the, the water from the rock, the water that would satisfy us in a dry and thirsty land. We see Him as the wind in the New Testament, God's breath moving in such a mighty way. We see the Old Testament as the fire purifying us from our sin, baptizing us in that fire. We see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament as oil. And, you know, one of the things about oil is this, that it was believed to to bring healing. I believe God wants to heal you. But that oil was a result of the olive press. And there's the praying. And here we are praying, Lord, once again. I'm praying. Lord, we're praying for the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Lord, to open our eyes. Lord, to open our heart. Lord, like we read in Proverbs 4, verse 23 today, to keep our heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it spring the issues of life. And so I just pray that God would bless you, man, that God would work in you, that God would change us, truly change us. Let there be a radical, radical Radical difference in our life. Okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and for the work that you want to do in our life, Father. I thank you for showing us what to do when we have that question, when we have that cause. Lord, just to bring it to you, Lord. I pray that we would, and I pray that you would just teach us to pray and teach us to hear your voice, Lord, as we Pray and seek you in your word. Lead us as leaders. Lead us as parents. Lord, lead us as husbands. Today, I pray, Father God, that you would teach us about the calling, Lord, in our life. Father God, the consequences of sin, the importance of the congregation, Lord God. And how you have a great commission, Father, that you want to fulfill. And so raise up, I pray, a new generation that we could pour into and pass the baton on. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Be with your people, Lord, today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's all-